there's a lot of places to go with a guy like you. Um, what stuck out to me where I want to start this conversation is I think there's this narrative in the health and fitness industry that you have to struggle really, really hard for money, for time. Um, time exchanging time for money is the, the currency. Um, and that's what you got to do before you can make money in this industry. Then I saw your hybrid method. You talked on your IG story. And yep. then I thought, hmm, interesting. I can see the similarities between you and Ben and then what I'm learning from Bren and through you accidentally as well. So I'm like, shit, okay, we're we're onto something. So I guess what I want to start with is we're sold this idea that we got to exchange time for money in all service-based industries. Mm. Can you explain why that is an inherently flawed system if you believe it is and instead what you would put in place? Yeah, man, like I I think everyone coming into the fitness industry. So it's like people coming out of the certificates when they're so three, so four, um, they get told, you know, trade time for money. That's what a personal trainer does. And I think that is completely fine at the start, but I probably like, I went down the whole fitness first route for the first eight or nine years of my journey, um, in the fitness industry. And it was fantastic for me. Um, but I had a sporting background. I love health and fitness and everything, that I did was health and fitness. Now, a lot of people inside that arena get left by the wayside and they don't make the money that they want to make. So I would say there's a 50-50 chance if you feel like you need to be nurtured more um, with your skill set, then join a organization and get a job and learn that skill set like essentially like Malcolm Gladwell talks about that 10,000 hour rule and I think it's you know as a personal trainer it's not 10,000 hours coaching someone it's 10,000 hours in the gym and like actually you know understanding your craft understanding what you're doing understanding squats deadlifts understanding and pinpointing you know the flaws and how to correct them I think you know, if you're new to the game and you're coming out, you serve three and four, then, you know, join an organization who preaches um, continuing education. Um, but I think if you have a good understanding um, and you have been in the game for a bit of the time, then if you're trading time for money, it doesn't, does definitely put a cap on your income. Mm. It definitely um, puts you uh, essentially, you know, working long hours, many split shifts, and it can lead to burnout. So, uh, you know, for us in the, in the fitness game, you want to be here for a long time, not a, not a short time. So then it's creating a business model that gives you sustainability um, and also gives you a bit like, you know, make sure that it is supporting your future, not just the current time. Um, I think that's when the hybrid method sort of comes, you know, beautifully into play. You know, hybrid method is, you know, I personally believe people can pay you a membership um, and, you know, so many trainers undervalue um, everything else that goes into Mm. what they provide for a client. Mm -hmm. So they'll do the training sessions, for example, when I'm a personal trainer, but they'll throw in nutrition for free. They'll do the programming in their own time. They'll do all the check-ins in their own time. Now, like that's outside of when they're paying you. So if it takes you one or two hours outside of the session to do the session, you're not making $70 an hour anymore. You're making $22 an hour. So it's like, you know, the money you think you're making per hour is not what you're actually making. So when I'm looking at the hybrid method, it's like, no, you need to package your service. You need to sell an outcome or sell an offer. And I think that's another thing that uh, most personal trainers 
um, essentially create a bit of a flaw with, or there's a flaw in their service because they're selling, hey, let's do two sessions a week um, for an indefinite period of time. And then what you're doing is you're selling friendship or you're selling time with you, you're not selling a result. So again, with the hybrid method, if you can create an offer with an outcome, you're selling the island. So we're selling four month membership with me and that includes four PT sessions, includes your monthly programming, includes bi-weekly check-ins, includes your nutrition protocols to make sure we're getting you the result. And in 16 weeks, we should get X outcome. Um, if you wanna do more sessions and that, and that for that outcome is $200 a month, and it's $800 to get that outcome if you're a new personal trainer. As you get more qualified, you get better results. You can go 300 bucks a month, $400 a month to the membership with you. And you want to value pack that membership. And they, they want the outcome, so they're happy to pay the price. Um, but, you know, with on top of that, you can go, yes, and I only um, sell personal training packages or personal training services to the people who are in my membership. So say you have you know 40 people or 50 people in your hybrid method, um, they have to do the hybrid method or the, the monthly membership with you to even buy more personal training sessions because that is the baseline package you sell. So if they want to do one a week, it's like, great, you have to pay the baseline membership, which is 200 a month or 300 a month. And on top of that, you can pay your weekly PT sessions if people need more sessions, if they're brand new for them to training, um, just to get them started understanding movement patterns and all the rest of it. But with that, you know, as I was talking about on my Instagram, it's if you get to 80 clients and it's just 20 sessions a week with that hybrid method, you know, with that, you're looking at bringing in about $200,000 a year as a personal trainer and you're only doing 20 hours a week. And on top of that, yeah, you do have to do the 10 hours a week of admin. So you're working the 30 hours a week, but you get to change more lives, which is, you know, 80 people over the course of a month. And as you get more educated, you can change it to 300 a month and 400 a month. And that's when we go from 200K to 300K to 400K as a personal trainer and never increasing the hourly or the hours you're actually spending with people above that 20 hours a week. And that formula is so simple. It's really just math and good systems. Yet exactly. so many people don't know it. It took me four or five years to realize it. And then it's a light bulb. And it's like, what am I doing? Like this, there is such more of efficient way. I don't have to run uphill. I can run downhill. Um, but you said something I wanted to ask. So you don't, your kind of uh, system is, do you don't let people see you privately one-on-ones at all unless they do your membership first. Is that right? Well, exactly right. Like um, you have to do the membership first to actually get further personal training. Because if you like, if I can see you twice a week and I'm not giving you a program outside of our training, I'm not helping with nutrition. Yeah. Then I'm going to be out of integrity with what I'm doing with you. So you know, the, the personal training sessions are just more time with me to critique your um, your movements, to push you harder, to train you more. So like for that, you got to pay your baseline. And then everything on top of that is like, okay, cool. You want your baseline? You want an extra eight sessions a month? Cool. We'll tack on those eight sessions a month on top of your baseline. And the sessions are 70 to $200 a session, whatever you're charging as a personal trainer. How do you reconcile that with, well, because the cap is higher, the barrier for entry is higher, obviously that's going to help accountability and adherence, but it's going to remove you know, a certain portion of the market or a large portion of the market, especially if you're an earlier coach who doesn't have that authority. How do you think about that? Well, you can just start by charging $100 a month. Right. 
<laughs> and you, like, um, it's super simple, right? It's a hundred dollars a month, and you get all this. You see me once a month, and that's my baseline membership because I'm not a greener trainer. I'm making a hundred k a year now, and I've got eighty clients. And then as you get more results, and as you're using these clients, it's like bang, I'm going to go up. If you want, like you can start really low. It's like hey, I'm charging seventy five dollars a month. Like I remember when I was I started PT in two thousand and two. Like I'm, I've been this guy for eighteen years now. So I was at Fitness First in Florida and I was charging like $35 or $33 for half an hour. Um, and that was, you know, when I first started and I wasn't selling results, I was selling time with me. Yeah. And as I grew, I understood that I need to stop selling the, the weekly two sessions a week or the weekly three sessions a week or whatever we were selling back then. I need to start selling outcomes because that's what people actually wanted. Um, and, you know, if you can wrap your head around how to get actually get results, um, that's when you can start to you know, sell this membership with you because if you're selling a membership with you with an outcome-based sale, it's like four months, six months, whatever it is, and you don't get the result, then you just look like a fool. Yeah, and that's your fault, right? That's the coach's yeah. fault, right? Because something was not right in your system. Well, it could be client fault as well. But, you know, you know, I've seen if your systems are anything like Ben's, even like, and I'm sure they are, right? Then you look at it and I did not know I was walking into it. And I love it. Like the check-ins, it's comprehensive, it's thorough. It's like perfect for a guy like me. But there are many people who would look at something like that and be intimidated by the comprehensiveness and like, oh my God, I got to fill all this out. I got to do all this, reduce nutrition, this habit tracker and and, um, this sleep tracker. It's like, how do you maximize adherence in the face of that intimidation that some people may feel? Um, I think what we have to look at is to have proper buy-in from a client to a personal trainer, you need to actually have a deeper conversation with them. So, you know, it's, it's finding the underlying root cause of why they want to train and why they want to transform their life. And then when they're doing that and you have the root cause of the reason they're actually hiring you, that means you're going to have more buy-in from them as a person. Sure. And then you can ask more of them. If you're telling them they just want to lose 10 kilos, then they're like, eh, well, if I want to lose 10 kilos because I've got two kids, I want to be a role model for them because I want to have more energy and be there for them as they grow up. It's like, okay, fantastic. So if you want to be the role model, we need to start measuring stuff mm. so we can manage you towards being a role model. So my conversation starts to change with the client and everything is about being a role model. And the 10 kilos is just, it's just, a, it's a goal. It's a tangible outcome we can actually track. And at that 10 kilo mark, that's, you know, essentially, you know, when you become that, feel like you're becoming that role model for your children. So when I'm using this type of language, I get more buy-in. And, and then from that, it's like, okay, we can scale back some of the metrics, like I, I created an app over the last couple of years, which is Keystone. We have about 200 you know, coaches on that um, at the moment. And that was just through word of mouth so far. And with that, we track sleep, we track nutrition protocols. Like some people will do macros, some people do portion control, and some people will do uh, focus on, you know, what they're doing as far as their lifts with progressive overload. Some people just track their training sessions. So sometimes you do have to scale back um, the language you're using with general population. You know, we know that, but we need to look at the metrics, right? Are you sleeping seven hours a night? Are you eating, you know, 80% whole foods? Um, do you have, are you increasing your nutrition IQ so you know what to eat when you're eating out? 
Um, have we started to help you with habit protocols? So you're moving your 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day as a minimum. Um, and then we go, are you doing your, your four training sessions a week? And after the first four to eight weeks with you, they might just submit uh, empty workout tracker and they just get in the habit of submitting. They're actually training four times a week. And after eight weeks, you, they've started to move forward. And it's like, okay, cool. To accelerate these re results, we need to now submit exact amount of weights you're lifting so we can start to create that progressive overload and have that hockey stick kind of results to get you towards that role model. So it's like it's um, any habit is built off small, simple steps. Most times people will say you need massive action, which is like a complete life overhaul. But the only people that ever do a, a complete life overhaul is the fact is the ones that have like some form of health scare. Um, so they might have had a heart attack or something like that. Most people will require small, simple steps to change their habits. And then they, they start to increase their self-confidence, their self-integrity. They stop lying to themselves. They stop justifying things because they start to feel like a winner and they're on the right direction. And when people feel like they're winning, they're willing to do more and more and more. So you need to get buy-in from the client for them to do more for you. And then as they're doing more for you, you give them more to do. And then it's a never-ending cycle of yep. upward trajectory, one percenters. Exactly. You said, and I, I think I want to circle back to it because it's really important, to establish all this buy-in, one of the key things is you establish their why, right? Mm. Their purpose beyond the superficial. Yeah. i got my own. I hope everyone has their own. What is your system for establishing someone's purpose and why behind the, the training? Um, I think to start with, it's just a deeper conversation. Like I, I go look at... Um, a couple of things. So I go through this thing, which is the motivation equation, right? So motivation equals value times expectancy over distraction times delay or impulsivity times delay. And I took this from Pierce Steele's book, The Procrastination Equation. So when we look at motivation, the value times expectancy, the value they place on the goal. So we have to go super deep on that because if I want to lose 10 kilos, it's like, well, how long have you wanted to lose 10 kilos on? Oh, the last five years. Okay, so the value isn't very high. It's like a four out of 10. So for it to be a, a 10 out of 10, we need to have this conversation and go deeper into it. It's like, well, why do you want to lose 10 kilos? Well, how will your life change? You know, if you don't lose 10 kilos, how will your life change in the next, you know, five years, the next 10 years? If you keep putting on two kilos a year, every year for the next 10 years. So what you have to do is you have to dig them into a pit of despair. So if you keep gaining two kilos a year for 10 years, it's 20 more kilos, that's 30 kilos overweight. So you tell me in 10 years, how you're gonna feel, how your health condition is gonna be. Tell me how your relationships are gonna be, how your relationships are with your kids. Are you gonna be able to do more with them or less with them? Are you gonna die early? Okay, are you gonna see your grandkids? Is it important to you, for you to be on this earth an extra five to 10 years or are you happy to die at 70 instead of 80? Are you happy to, you know, not be there and be able to be energetic with your grandkids? Like you tell me, because we're in a fork of the road to have the best version of your life or the worst version of your life. And this decision right now to lose these 10 kilos is the fork in the road. You might not think of it as a big decision, but this is the biggest decision of your life. And you have to go all in and become somewhat obsessive on this because you have one life and you're playing like you have two. Damn, that's it. Do you have that verbal conversation or is that a written thing you get them to articulate? Uh, it's a verbal conversation. So it's like you have to drive them into this, like, because most people go, oh, I want to lose five kilos so I don't look good. It's like, dude, it's like, that, like, if you want to lose five kilos to look good, you would have done it like, you know, four years ago. 
but you keep saying you're going to do something. You start something, you stop something. You start something, you stop something. So it's not because you want to look good. Like what? Like how will your life change if you do it? And how will your life change if you don't do it? Mm. And now let's cascade that across the next five to 15 years. And truly, how will your life change? So you need to future pace them when they're achieving these results and future pace them. We're not to, uh, actually achieving these results because it's the, the one decision then changes every other decision after that. And they have to understand this one decision today could be the best decision for the rest of their life. And when they get to that and they truly understand that and you have a, a deeper meaning, it's like, fantastic. We moved you from a five out of 10 for your value on this motivation up to a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. And then we have expectancy, right? So if you look at expectancy, that's why someone is actually hiring a coach because they don't expect for them to do, be able to achieve the result um, themselves because they've tried in the past. So their expectancy is like a three out of 10. So that's why people try and do things at home and they keep falling off the bandwagon because their expectancy is so low. So from hiring a coach right now, um, your expectancy already goes up to a five or a six out of 10. Now, if you were a coach with a track record of thousands of people that you've transformed their life, the expectancy goes up even higher, right? If you're paying a coach who, uh, you know, essentially probably costs a little bit more, your expectancy goes up even higher because clearly they're more credible, clearly they have more education, clearly they have more um, testimonials behind them. If you have a coach that's checking with you every single week and tracking your metrics and really caring, it's like, again, your expectancy goes up every higher. So for us as coaches, our goal, our true goal is to increase someone's value and increase someone's expectancy in getting those results. If we increase those two things, then all of a sudden the, the numerators on top of these denominators that increase motivation, all of a sudden, bang, they start moving forward. And that's when, like for me, I, I'm not a I'm pro proponent of like more flexible dieting, um, but I will try and get hands also like a, a more of a balanced macro ratio, but I'll put someone on something like a low carb um, kickstart for the first seven to 10 days to help, even if it's dropping a couple of kilos of water, water weight for the first, for the general pop, and they might lose a kilo of fat, but all of a sudden they drop three kilos over the first seven to 10 days. They, they haven't done that in the past for a long time. Their expectancy skyrockets that results with you increase even more mm. and they trust you and they buy on you even further. Then we add cars back in. They have more buy-in now and they follow anything you say. And all we're doing is we're playing a game with our nutrition protocols to get further buy-in from the client. So we have this client long-term success, not just like short-term wins or slow progress. Because if you give someone slow progress, who's gen pop, they're going to fall off the bandwagon as well because they have unrealistic expectations. Dude, that's a great strategy um, to trigger buy-in. Do you have, I'm sure you have many more. Do, what else do you use in your toolkit because it's uh, to trigger that initial buy-in to then get people on the bandwagon of doing 95% of the things you say? Yeah, man, I, I think it depends on the niche market you go with, right? So I coach some people who coach golfers, right? So there's some, you know, I, even when I did the Paul Check stuff back in like 2006, mm. there's simple like, um, mobility drills that increase their range of motion by like 30 degrees straight away. And the people are like, holy hell, you're a witch doctor. So like anything you can do that gives them like a dramatic increase um, to move the needle forward in the result that they are gonna get straight away is gonna get there. If you might get someone who's like super tight back pain and you might go through some mobility drills and all of a sudden it's released straight away and they're moving better. It's like, wow, like, Oh my gosh, like and this is why ongoing education is so important, right? Because it gives you a couple of, you know, if if you only have a hammer, then you see everything as a nail, 
right? You need to put more tools in your tool belt um, so you can pull them out at the right person for the right time to get the fast result to then get buy-in. That's why with IBT, we do 28-day challenges. I, I hate 28-day challenges. I don't believe in 28-day challenges, okay. but I meet the market where the market is so then I can give them a result so then I can sell them a long-term success. Now, whole 28-day challenge, we do seminars teaching them how short-term success is going to lead or short-term fixes is going to lead them to long-term failure and why they need to strength train, why they need to move from portion control to flexible dieting, why they need to understand eating out, why they need to have this as a lifestyle change, not a 28-day challenge. So like our marketing, a lot of people get upset with the way I market um, you know, over the years, but like, that's fine. Like P90X did $1 billion worth of phone sales through muscle confusion. Right, like Tony Horton, like, and the amount of lives that Tony Horton changed with P90X. I don't know if anyone's heard of P90X, maybe I'm old now. Um, but like, with him, he did a billion dollars in sales. Now, you might not agree with his methods, but I bet you he's changed more lives um, than anyone who's listened to this podcast because of the amount of people that started doing stuff. And I think as coaches, we need to take the blinkers off for what is right and what is wrong sometimes, as long as you're not being an absolute idiot, but you want to try and get buy-in so you can ch- so you can change more lives. And sometimes that means you need to compromise slightly with what's best in the long-term to what's best right now to get more people into the long-term. I think this is just something you have to, um, you know, essentially, you know, weigh up with yourself. Like, what is my my short term and what is my long term goals? How can I get more people on my short term so that I can get more people on the long term? Because if you just go out there and start marketing, hey, let's uh, it's going to be a six month transformation. It's going to be grueling. You're going to have to have deep grit and discipline. Like the amount of people going to sign up to your services is going to be very low. Um, but if you give them a sort a sort of a, a quick result, a quick buy-in result, all of a sudden the more people that come to you and stay with you long term is going to be dramatically increased, which means at the end of the day, we got in this this game to change lives. And that means you get to change more lives. So like that's the top end of the motivation equation. And then we look at the bottom end of the motivation equation, and that's distraction or impulsivity times delay. So what's all the impulsivity that's going to keep you away from your goals? So, you know, some people, it could be their phone, it could be Uber Eats, it could be the apps because it's like impulse, like buying food. It could be the food that's in their house. It could be impulsivity with their friendship groups and people who always take them out to go drinking. So I was like, okay, cool. Delete those two apps, take the food out of your house. You're not going to see Susie and Julie for the next four months because they are you're actually sabotaging friends. Um, so I was like, look at all the distractions in their life remove the distractions, take them from an eight out of 10 all the way down to like a two out of 10. It's like, cool, we decrease the denominator there. That's like delay factor, right? We can't talk about four months. We need to go away from the outcome-based goal, move it to the process-based goal and start making weekly wins. And this is where like Atomic Habits, James Clear kicks in a lot, right? So how can we create weekly wins for you or even daily wins where we're where skyrocketing dopamine, you're feeling good. And then all of a sudden you're just on this uh, winner's win, right? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. Right. So we need to have daily wins. We need to have weekly wins. If you do your seven day weekly win, you'll get a reward. If you do your monthly win, have a bigger reward. And all of a sudden we get our four monthly wins. So if we can decrease delay to a one to seven day marker, then our clients feel like they're winning. So we decrease delay, we decrease impulsivity and distraction, we increase value, we increase um, expectation. All of a sudden you've got motivated clients who get results. Now you just synthesized 
probably half the Atomic Habits book right there in five minutes, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, but you're talking about environmental design, right? You're yes. talking about, I just because I want to bring some context around that. You're talking about it is very difficult to succeed and prosper in a self-destructive, self-limiting environment. You're running uphill versus creating an environment that is positive, uplifting, and that encourages positive habits. Well, what's, what's the fastest way to learn a language, right? Go to the country. Exactly. Environment. So you get away from all the people talking your language yeah. and you move to the country talking the language you want to learn. Yeah. And all of a sudden you learn the language really fast. And that's again why I created RBT. So I created RBT to create environments and communities that were establishing habits of transformation rather than leaving people into their own countries of obesity and unhappiness. So come into my country yeah. where we get fit and feel good. And you, instead of staying in your country where you've been overweight and felt like crap the last, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like you're just designing environments where people thrive. And I think that's like, that's how cults work, but it's how cults can be effective. Right. Yeah. I know people get very scared of the word cult, but like guys like Robert Greene and um, they talk about this stuff and, you know, tribes and cults and religions like, they kind of cross-pollinate in a lot of ways, like people coming together in a similar ideas, shared values, um, and they protect themselves from the outside destructive world. 100%. I think like tribes are probably one of the most crucial thing. Your tribe should try and have its own language. Yeah. Um, you know, look at look like flexible dietings, like they have their own language, right? You know, if it fits your macros, all that sort of stuff. So it's like there's acronyms, there's languages people t speak that they fit into a tribe. Um, the stronger your tribe's beliefs, the more that people uh, stand for something and stand against something and they protect the people in the tribe and they push out those people who aren't in the tribe, which is like community small group training um, gyms, create tribes, CrossFit's like a very deep tribe, right? You know, you, know, you, you always know you're talking to a CrossFitter because they'll tell you you're doing CrossFit before you ask. Yeah. And, and you know, like, but that's an amazing tribe. And if someone bags CrossFit, they'll jump on a communication thread, even if they don't know who the person is and they'll start hammering people because they try to, you know, um, attack their tribe. So I think, you know, if you can create your own tribe um, and it can be as deep as you want or as shallow as you want, but the deeper the tribe, the more um, strong your messaging needs to be, the more you have to stand for something and stand against something. And I think with coaches, this is something um, that people don't want to do because if I stand for something, then I'm going to lose someone. I'm not going to get all the clients. But if you try and get all the clients, yeah. you're going to get none of the clients and no one's going to ever remember you. So you need to, especially like in this online game or if I was a, um, a personal trainer, um, I would coach a specific sub niche of human beings because this is who I stand for. This is who I help. This is what my formula is all around. And, you know, it's different between us having like 16 gyms or, you know, one gym. It's different between me having, you know, 40 clients, you know, and 2000 clients. So like, you know, as you go bigger and bigger, your, your tribe isn't as strong or the amount, your niche market isn't as strong. But if you're super niche, like your tribe has to be super tight. Like one of my, coaching clients he looks after menopausal ladies right he has a 50,000 females in a facebook group and he just cracked a million dollars a year just coaching menopausal ladies and like so he is so strong with your his tribe and people they know that they're in the tribe they know that they're not in the tribe they don't have menopause right so <laughs> very it's like, clear it's very clear <laughs> and then like the, a tribe 
will bond yeah. around the common um, humanity that that tribe goes through, like veganism, you know, there's tribes. Like, so we need to go, who is your tribe that you want to help as a coach for the next 10 years, next 20 years, next 30 years, find that tribe, serve that tribe better than anyone else, you know, have preeminence, like surpass all others with the value you serve to that marketplace. And all of a sudden your demand for your services will go through the roof you still have a limited supply. If you want to work that hybrid method we talked about earlier, you start going from 100 to you know $600 a month, and you start going up to that 500K personal trainer, still only doing 20 hours a week because your demand is so high because your tribe is so tight. Hmm. That sounds like a very solid system. However, the one of the limitations, or the, I don't know, limitations of tribes is that people become tribal. Like people become like, very egotistical, they, they begin to become more closed-minded perhaps, they begin to not be as open-minded to new ideas and experiences, and oh wait, there's two sides of the coin, there's a lot of nuance in these, a lot of these uh, training and nutrition and, and religion, like these nuance, how do you, uh, even yourself as a human being, practice critical thinking and open-mindedness so you don't get bogged down in dogma? I think you're overestimating the... Um the want for knowledge from the general population. So they want to know, they want to think, okay, that there is something out there that they haven't done and that's why they haven't got the result. So everyone's always looking for the unique mechanism. So as your tribe, you can be malleable with the direction you're taking your tribe. Um, but for you, like I, you could be a tribal leader, but also always you don't want to get stuck down the dogma yes. that is your tribe. Yes. But your tribe, you need to shove them into the unique mechanism so that people want to have a reason that they haven't got the result in the past. So if you tell them the reason is just because they haven't you know, eaten too much and they haven't moved enough, they'll be like, you know, screw you, man. Like, like you don't know my life. You don't know what it is. But if you tell someone the reason they haven't got results is because they haven't done carb cycling, they're like, yeah, that's the reason. I haven't done that carb cycling thing. So you're giving people an out to become in. And then for that, and that's general population, right? Because they always want to think that there's something they haven't tried and they come into your, your, your tribe now on an avenue and then you can educate that tribe um, on you know the malleable ways to get to the end result. So I think you know that's that's how I personally look at it. Yeah, but I think it's important because I like I can I don't know a lot of context around you, Travis. But now beginning to get more like I can see, and I, we mentioned it earlier, how people could be critical of your approach. Right? That's probably very easy to be, especially when you look at the superficial thirty second, sixty second clip. But I think what's missed is like. I'm hearing you use these techniques as a gateway to get in the door, but you're not selling short-term solutions because you're you're educating on that's not going to work. You need no. the long-term thing. 100%. That's day one of IBT. We do a seminar, and in the first seminar before they even start their 28-day challenge, yeah. we tell them that you know they might lose five kilos in the first 28 days, but unless they commit to the next 16 weeks then they're not going to actually change their life. They're going to lose weight. They're going to gain weight again. Mm. They're going to be back to where they are in eight weeks time. So we need to go, cool, this is portion control. This is our small, simple steps. We go then into calories and macronutrients. Then we go into, we diet you down. We look at, for plateaus. 
And so have you ever hit a plateau before? They're all in green because most people have. You know, have you ever been told something about your metabolism and dieting, crashing and all that sort of stuff? And most people have. Then we go into reverse dieting structure to try and build your metabolism back up. And this is the RBT method. You know, stage one of the RBT method is a 28 day challenge to lose the first five kilos to make you start moving forward. The RBT method is a 48 week method that actually transforms your life, your metabolism, and gets you feeling good and enjoying the process that is strength training and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's giving you the freedom to live your life long term without the um, anxiety that is around, you know, getting your ideal body. You are, we've talked about a couple of times, you brought it up, flexible dieting versus portion control. Can you explain for those who don't know what those are and which you find more effective or rather when you use which? Yeah, man, like I think, you know, everyone is, um, everyone has different nutrition IQs, right? So like for, for us, like your, your education level around a topic, if I was gonna go into coach personal trainers uh, most personal trainers, I'll go towards like a calories and macronutrients um, approach, right? Um, so they're more analytical, their IQ is a little bit higher, they want to be more specific and with more specificity, we can get um, um, sometimes better results, but we can get more adherence because we're managing the minutia, the nuances. So if we are going, finding out your you know daily caloric needs, we put you into a deficit, We'll give you a macro breakdown. We can suggest foods around that macro breakdown. So you're hitting your seven day meal plan. We look at the amount of calories you need to eat on a weekly basis, not a daily basis. And then out of those calories, we'll give you 20% flexibility for like more processed-based foods. I'm not gonna go 100% into let's eat Twinkies and donuts um, to fill my macros, but I'll give you a 20% approach and then 80% of our foods want to become from whole foods um, where we're going to make sure we're hitting our micronutrient threshold. So we're starting to not only look good, but we start to feel good. We start to, um, you know, essentially work at most optimally. So that's like when we're looking at flexible dieting. And again, if someone's come and they've trained in the past um, and they've been to the gyms, then we'll take them into a, a flexible dieting approach from day one. But again, most of the general population, if you push them straight into flexible dieting, and they have no self-control, um, then you can. Then what happens is that instead of going 80, 20, 80% whole foods, 20%, um, you know, processed things that they love, they'll start to swing the other way. Um, what I've found, and they they feel like they can't control, it, or it becomes too hard because they don't know how much protein is in a chicken breast. They don't know how like like it becomes such an elaborate um, process for them to understand that it does become too hard and again their expectancy isn't huge the roof and their buy-in to you isn't huge through the roof um at the very start so at the start we go towards portion control so we'll use like more of a precision nutrition approach um which is you know you got so four pounds of protein for, for a female you know a couple of fists of um you know eight fists of veg you know two fists of carbs and um three thumbs of fat and these are your allowed foods lists for the 28 day challenge and there's a not allowed food list so it's like we're going to stick to this allowed food list to decrease overwhelm to increase to decrease decision fatigue because all of a sudden if you can decide to eat anything then you get overwhelmed 
with deciding what to eat from anything. So if we give you an allowance food list at the start of your journey, you have to decide between like 30 different proteins, eight different carbohydrates and lists of 20 veg and you know eight fats. All of a sudden we've reduced the amount of decisions you can make that allows you to decrease overwhelm and anxiety. And you're like, okay, cool. I just have to eat four pounds of protein a day and I'm good to go and I'm gonna be on track to getting my results. And, you know, if we can decrease overwhelm and we can get results, all of a sudden they're like, I start to feel good. Now give me the next part of my education. So we're going from portion control education into calorie control education because you have further buy-in from someone. They've already started getting results and you can take them to the next level. That's, that's a great system. Um, do you, how do you determine, do you, well, do you start everybody on portion control or if you don't, how do you determine, do you have like a clear cut? way to define who goes where? Yeah, it's a tough one, right? So it's like when we, anyone that comes into our 28 day challenge, um, they'll go straight into a portion control. And then post 28 days, you know, some people will stay portion control if they're not ready for, you know, more of a, you know, flexible dieting style calorie approach. Um, but most people will go into a calorie approach after the 28 days. When we come get like referrals coming in, um, or we're marketing like a 16 week challenge, um, which is obviously a slightly long-term challenge. In that initial assessment, we'll go through, what have you been through? What have you tried in the past? Okay, what did you like? What did you not like? And we'll assess their IQ as far as their nutrition. Um, and if they understand calories and macros and all the rest of it, and then we'll go, okay, which is the best starting point for this person? Is it more calorie-based um, you know, nutrition or is it more portion-based? And that's where it becomes more individual. Got it, that's, that's very useful. Um, to shift gears, we talked about habits uh, earlier in the conversation. I wonder what, as a human being, what are your keystone habits that you find the most effective for you that you have to do? And then on top of that, for the human race, if you can do that, what do you think are the biggest ones that could dramatically, fundamentally change someone's trajectory in life? Um, Keystone habits, like for me, like everyone talks about morning routines, but you can't get a good morning routine unless you're having a good nighttime routine. So the nighttime comes before morning. People don't get that. Um, So, you know, for me, like I'll talk about my habits, right? So it's like, okay, cool, 6.30 p.m., blue blockers go on. And that means obviously for me, I'm trying to um, wind down um, my stimulation I'm going to try and make sure that my body starts to move into nighttime mode. 7.30 p.m., my phone goes down, so I don't start getting distracted. I don't start getting to a scrolling mechanism. I'm not, like, getting the constant, like, kicks and hits of, um, you know, like, what's next? Uh, So, like, my phone goes away at 7.30 p.m. Um, 9 o'clock, I'll get in bed and I'll be asleep by 9.44. So, it's like, like... I, I personally, again, like it might sound regimented, but, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? So when we look at this, you know, this is my discipline for me um, because this is what I, I like. I like to feel good in the morning, okay? Would you like to feel good in the morning, have a productive day and feel amazing? Absolutely. Would you like to watch an extra hour of Netflix? You know, me, I choose to feel good instead of Netflix. So then the next, so like that's my nighttime sort of routine. Don't take any subs or anything like that. It's just like, you know, make sure your room is dark. Make sure everything else, like your environments, as far as your sleep hygiene is on point. So I think sleep is the keystone habit. If we don't sleep, 
then we're going to start to, we're not going to train the next day. We're going to start to overeat the next day. Our willpower will be lower the next day. You know, like, so it means you're going to, the, the, the muffin you might've walked away from, you're going to more likely get because we're trying to feel good because we're trying to um, replace the, the feeling of um, that lack of sleep. So, you know, get your sleep in and then having a great morning routine, right? I can think- I pause you? Can I pause you there on the night routine real quick? Um, you said two things. Well, one, do you, when you get to bed at nine, do you, are you reading in bed? Um, yeah, I do. So I read before I go to sleep. And it's cool. probably the easiest way for me to wind down. Um, me and Liv, we read, and then we get to you know knock off in like 45 minutes later. Yeah. I'm the, uh, once I started doing that habit, my sleep latency was always long. And yeah. I'm like, fuck, man, supplements and this and that. Once I started doing that, I feel tired. Otherwise, <laughs> I do not ever feel tired. Almost I'm, ever. Are you the same? 100%, yeah. I almost feel like, uh-oh. Should I just keep working until I just fall, get tired? Is that what my body's telling me? But no, it's modern society is tricking my brain. Um, oh, 100%, man. And it sucks, right? Like, so that's why the blue blockers are so essential for me. As soon as I put them on, I went from like about 32 minutes of, not soon, but over the next couple of weeks, I went from about 32 minutes of deep sleep up to about an hour and a half to two hours of deep sleep each night. Wow. So like, like the subtle changes over time, it can give you, you know, amazing results or benefits. So like for me, like, the nighttime routine for me is is super crucial for me to feel fantastic the next day and you know like that's imperative towards who i want to be on this earth sure um you 6 30 uh you put the the blockers on um yeah. do you do that just when the light cycle is shorter in the colder months or do you do that in the summer too because the sun doesn't go down until around eight around now yeah, it's, it's more in the shorter months, but I would say like in, I still put them, I probably put them about seven o'clock at the moment. I've got two kids, right? So, you know, for, for me, it's a, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So I put them still about seven o'clock now um, because if I put them on at like eight, I, I, I personally find I'm not as tired at that nine o'clock, yeah, 9.44. Okay. Yeah. So like I'm trying to force myself because in summer months, like I want to be awake longer and I don't want to be awake longer because right. I get up at four thirty in the morning. Right. So it's like, like I force myself to try and get to sleep by nine forty-four um, at night time. So I force it with blue blockers. Oh, I, I help it with blue blockers. Sure. No, that, that's, that makes complete sense. It's interesting because I've been titrating mine back, um, and I think that's the way to go, man. Like I used to do an hour before I get in bed. I'm like, I don't think that's enough. The sun's been down for an hour already. Like, let me cue myself with the sun up and sun down yeah you you have children i think those are tattooed on your palm right <laughs> yeah no no this is a, a more it says a more love. vincent on so love conquers all oh, so I think like that's i got jackson and um finn so like i think two things for me that drive me i'm getting that tattoo here it's like memento more so like death comes to us all and you know love rules us so i think if we can live by two principles it's love and death Dude, um, that's just really awesome. oh, go go go. I was like, oh, I don't know, but I think it just sounds like me. Um, so, like, I'm happy with love and death. I think if if we can accept that today could be our last day on this earth, mm. then you need to treat today like it's the last day on this earth. So play full out, and that's like that's memento mori for me. And love conquers all. It's like if anyone comes at me with hate, there's a lot of hate in this world. It's like I need to come back with kindness and love because I don't know what they're going through. I think if we can understand those two things, we get to have um, a happier and more joyful life. 
Absolutely, that's the classic Stoic philosophy, and um, I was kind of accidentally interrupting you because you know I have that similarity. Uh, I'm not sure if you're more, uh, familiar with Ryan Holiday. Um, he, well, actually, there's a there's a Stoic website. They sell coins. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. One of them says Memento Mori. One of them says Amora Fati, love of fate. Okay, not not merely to bear what is necessary, uh, but to embrace it and love it for what it is. I just found that interesting. You tattooed it on your body. I have those two coins every morning. I'm looking at pondering. And I think hmm, I think there's something to Stoic philosophy as an interface to or interfacing with the world more effectively as an operating system. I'm not sure where to go with a question for it, but have you know, have you interacted with that? Has it how has it been resourceful for you? Man, I think Stoic philosophy is one of the most crucial things that people can look into if they can, right. and I believe they should. Um, so, like, for me, you know, I embrace it as much as I possibly can. I think, you know, the obstacle is the way. And um, I think for us, you know, we, we, as a society, run away from obstacles um, because we feel like, you know, we shouldn't have them or we then feel like this isn't fair. Why me? Instead, I think if, if the person with the biggest challenges is put for you in front of you because you are preparing for it, because it's preparing you for who you need to be. So if we understand if I run from obstacles, I'm running from all my potential on this earth. If I move towards obstacles, it's preparing me for who I'm supposed to be on this earth. So I think like that's the, the most crucial distinction that I like to look at. It's like I go through a lot of obstacles in my life and the bigger um, your goals, the more obstacles you'll face. And they're not there to you know, like harm you. They're there to challenge you to become a better human being. So I think that's, that, that's the one way. The other way when we look at stoic philosophy, it's like, I can only control me, right? So it's like, I can't control everyone on my outside. I can't control in my, like, I can't have expectations on other people because I don't know what they're going through. But if I can control my emotions and my actions, I think that is one of the most crucial things. And whilst it's not stoic philosophy, when we look at um, Viktor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning, it's probably one of the most pivotal books that I read in my life. He was a psychologist in the, um, in the Holocaust, right? And, you know, they so many things people getting pulled out in front of him getting killed and you know he said um you can do anything to me but take away my last human freedom which is my ability to choose my own way in any single circumstance so it's like you know you can hate on me but i can choose how i react and he also coined the whole stimulus to response and i think you know with our clients we try and teach this it's like it's moving towards what you want most instead of what you want now so like the stimulus is I feel like a donut. The response is I get a donut, but the stimulus could be your boss giving you a bad day. The response is a donut. If we can expand that or someone cuts me off in traffic, it's a stimulus response is I flip them the bird and I choose the emotion of anger. If I can expand the gap between stimulus and response, I can, instead of moving to like fight or flight, or if I can just take a breath, I can use the power of breath to breathe in for four seconds, hold for two, breathe out for six seconds, I use pause and plan instead. And it's like, cool. Do I know what that person's going through? No. Did they mean to cut me off? Maybe. Could they have been going towards the hospital because their kid's sick? Possibly. Would I be frustrated if they cut me off to go towards their sick kid in hospital? No. 
cool, I'll choose that. Now I haven't chosen chosen to flip the bird or chosen anger. I've chosen empathy. Mm. And now I'm not taking that emotion and that residual emotion across the rest of my day, giving me poor choices. So I feel like, again, if we can focus on ourselves and live true to our own life and not worry about what other people are doing, which is probably one of the hardest things. And, you know, the stoic philosophy is like, all well, every morning, you know, you're, you yeah, like a person shooting for a bullseye, right? You're in the morning, you pull back that uh, bow with that arrow and you let go of that arrow and you try and hit the bullseye. Now, everything else around you, like you can't control, could be other people knocking the arrow down. It could be the weather knocking the arrow down. Like you can't control whether the arrow got, gets knocked down. All you can control is your aim and you pull back the bow and you let go of the arrow. And then if you don't hit the bullseye tomorrow, you wake up, you pull back the arrow bow and you let go of the arrow again. And I think that's all we can do as human beings, but we get so down that other people knock our arrow down. We get so down when we miss the bullseye, then we sit in the corner with our obstacles and we never move forward rather than understanding. We just have to pull back the bow again and let go of the arrow again as soon as we possibly can. And that's how you play life. That is a beautiful metaphor for the day-to-day challenges of life pulling the bow back and repeat 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 um what was i gonna say you mentioned about oh that's right you mentioned beginning with kindness and compassion and i I think that's something i've been thinking about recently more choosing kindness but and it comes back to this quote it's like everyone is suffering from something that we know nothing about everybody dude 100 percent um, and I think that's the sad thing, um, that we worry so much about ourselves instead of others. You know, when people, um, react towards us in a negative light, we choose to, instead of accept and empathize, we try and defend and attack. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, if someone's trying to come at you, you don't know why they're coming at you. You don't know what's going in their personal life. You don't know what's going, you know, the five minutes before they started talking to you. You just got to have some empathy. It's like if their life is that hard right now and they're walking through their version of hell right now, you need to be more kind. If someone attacks you, show them love to try and help them. Um, and you move away from our first instinct, instinct, which is to protect ourselves and um essentially you know some people attack back rather than move towards them and give them a hug give them empathy give them kindness and i think if we did that the world would be so much better absolutely i I think leading by example and being the change you want to see in the world is is a big part of the that answer um but to go back we're talking about habits you talked about sleep what about keystone habits of course, that's a big one for humans. Like, that's one of the biggest, right? Do you have one or two more you wanted to mention for everybody else? Um, I think, you know, like, some other keystone habits is gratitude. Um, gratitude, uh, deploying some form of self-awareness. I think we, we as humans, have um, a lack of self-awareness on why we're actually doing some things. So, like, what we could do, we talked about sleep, and then it's bookending our days with gratitude. So we're looking at three things you can do in the morning, which um, what, what are the three things you're grateful for today? Um, just in general, like the sky, my kids, you know, my wife, 
Um, it could be, you know, anything, three grateful things. And at the end of the day, what are the three things you're grateful for today? And if we can start to write that down and we start to deploy gratitude on the bookends of our day, because we can truly control the bookends of our day, what happens is we, we become more aware of the gratitude through our life because now we're searching for it. And every single day, while there might be troubling times, but you can be grateful for those troubling times as well. And it's just like when you buy a car, if you buy a new car, you didn't see it on the road and all of a sudden you buy that new car and you see it everywhere yeah. um, because you have this heightened awareness of that car, it's, you know, a reticular activating system. So I think if you can start deploying gratitude in the bookends, the morning and nighttime, then you're more grateful throughout the day. Um, you start to see gratitude everywhere. Mm. And if we can see gratitude everywhere, instead of living a life uh, that ha is that that's runs at a lower frequency, we start to run our life at a higher frequency with joy, with appreciation for what we do have rather than living with, you know, oh, I wish I had that. And we have some more appreciation on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we have more appreciation on a day-to-day -day basis, we run at a positive state rather than a negative state. Our state affects our stories. So the stories we tell ourselves, whether I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this, I can't stick to a diet, all the rest of it, right? Or we start to tell ourselves better quality stories. And then we start to tell ourselves better quality stories. We start to stick to the strategies. Right. So everything rolls around gratitude, which then infects or you know, does infects our state, our story and our strategy execution and, and deploying that in every aspect of our life. So I think that is probably the keystone habit is mm -hmm. gratitude and perspective. Like you might feel like you're having like a bad day, but your best day is someone else's uh, your worst day is someone else's best day. So, you know, stop being so entitled, um, deploy gratitude, harness perspective and then the rest of your day will run at a, a better frequency. Absolutely, very well said. Uh, I think when it changes your story, it reminds me of um, Atomic Habits. It's like changing your identity, like how mm. you see yourself, your values. Exactly. To finish off, oh, well, are you good to keep chatting another 20 minutes, Travis? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. Good, man. Appreciate it. Um, because these, these conversations go very deep and wide. Uh, I wanted to talk about automation and systems. There's yep. one thing I've, I've learned from a guy like you or a Ben, who I consider you guys are very similar people. Um, what are your main systems of automation and organization that you've created for yourself that have fundamentally changed your life? Um, I think when I was a PT, it's quite interesting, right? When I was a PT and as you do, as you're a personal trainer, like everything is so regimented. It's like, you know, hour blocks for sessions, you schedule in, you know, when you're going to go and pee, like you schedule in everything. Right. And then when I opened my gym, like I, like, um, I pushed back against time management because I was so regimented for so many years. I was just like, Oh no, I don't want it anymore. And then with that, I started to be really busy, but not productive. So then I flipped back into time management and truly allowed me to propel forward. So I, I, when I look at systems as far as time management productivity, that again starts my morning routine. So I wake up 4.30, I go for a run in the mornings. I don't go for a big run. Um, I just go for a run because I love how I feel good after a run. So I run about 2Ks in the mornings on average. Um, about or go out for a run for about 15 minutes, I'll come back, then I'll meditate, I'll read, um, I'll have a cold shower. And that's like my morning routine that sets me up for the day. And my morning routine is done by 6am. Um, so this, this morning packs my 
um, psyche to prepare myself for the day. Then for me, like, you know, the kids and stuff happen between like sort of six and eight, but then I need to try and harness not time management, but energy management. Mm. So for us as human beings, we need to start talking more about energy management than time management because, you know, if you are again, running at a higher energy or higher frequency, your productivity, you know, goes up tenfold. So you might, you know, where it might take something two hours, it takes one hour when you're super motivated and super um, um, focused on the task. So the first thing of the day, I will start with education for 50 minutes and I'll run, I've tried Pomodoro's, I've tried, you know, working in 90 minutes, like the 90 minute meridians. For me, it's 50 minutes on and 10 minutes off. So I'll work for 50 minutes, I'll start my education, I'll have a 10 minute break, I'll go for a walk, I might do a couple of pull-ups or something like that if I'm walking past the gym and I'll walk back and I'll go for another 50 minutes. I try and have five deep work blocks a day. So I'll go like from nine to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, I'll break for 30 minutes for lunch, I'll go 12, 31, 30 and I'll train again like you know 2.33 in the afternoon. Some days I only get four blocks, but then I'll push all my calls um, and, you know, I push everything normally back until two o'clock or one o'clock at, at the earliest. And that's when I have my reactive time. So everything up until, um, 1 PM for me is proactive. It's like, okay, cool. Let's focus on my education. Let's focus on my content creation. Let's focus on the nuances that are going to move the business forward as far as marketing, sales, leadership, customer experience. So that's the first, you know, 80% or 75% of my working day. The back 25% is normally meetings, um, reactive uh, council staff or anything like that, because I don't want the reactive moments of my life to take away my willpower for when I need it most, which is in the proactive moments of my life, which is creation, right? Not reactivity. So like that's that's my my energy. I need to walk for about 10 minutes every hour to reset, to refocus and to go again. I'll look on a Sunday, I'll plan out my week, but my weekly plan is based off my quarterly plan. So that's like my, how my day runs. 2.30, I'll train, I'll come back, I might do my, you know, another hour of work from like 3.30 to 4.30, I'm pretty much done for the day. But when I look at it, so I'll do my quarterly plan at the start of the quarter and I'll look at the businesses and it's like, okay, cool. Where do we need to move the needle forward over the next 90 days? And for every single business, you should always be trying to improve. It's like, cool, we get results in this time frame. How can we get in this time frame? A customer experience is this, how can we get to that? So it's like, okay, for the next nine days, our key focuses, these are the top three focuses. It's focusing on our team culture. It's going to focus on our you know, customer acquisition. It's going to focus on X, Y, Z, right? So then we break it down to the 15 steps that would be best to achieve that. And it's like, okay, you know, these five steps happen in month three, these five steps happen in month two, these five steps happen in month one. So now I have a 90 day plan for optimization of my business. I have a 90 day plan for growth of my business. And, you know, that's where I sort of start to go, cool, this is what I'm doing for the month. Um, and then I break down those five things over the course of the weeks of the month. So it's like, that's week four, that's week three, that's week two, that's week one. So on a Sunday, when I'm looking to prepare for my week, as I'll pull the stuff that I need from the businesses to do, I'll slot them into my deep work blocks because I'm structured from ninth, from 4.30 a.m. My diary or my schedule is full until like essentially nine o'clock at night. I'll go bang, 50 minutes there, 50 minutes there. What What is the task and what is the outcome I'm trying to achieve for the task 
in that 50 minute block. So it's super structured and all of a sudden I wake up and as I'm going through it, I tick, tick, tick. If I need to defer some stuff, I have a couple of hours later in the week, which is for my deferred tasks to make sure I finish them off in the week that I had um, and I schedule that in, deferred task time. And then I wake up every morning, everything's laid out and just like a robot going through the motions, but it's, for me, it's the robot that's going through the motions to become the best version of me. Because again, discipline equals freedom. And I think, you know, that's it. It's like 90 day into monthly, into weekly, into daily. And that's the, the time management and energy management. You know, once a month, take an extra day off, have a three days break. You know, once a quarter, have an extra day off, have four days break because we need to, you know, try and replenish our energy to then be our best version of ourselves as well. I, I tried at one stage to try and, you know, do monophasic sleeping, which is like at the start of opening the gyms, you sleep like 20 minutes every four hours. You don't have a night time. Because yeah, I was trying to like hustle as hard as I could and um, get as many hours in a day. I was like, I worked a lot, but my energy management was so poor. I felt like I was going to die as well. And not sleeping. I did for like about 11 days. And I literally thought I was going to die. But like over the years, and as I progress, I, you know, we overestimate um, what we can do in one year and we severely underestimate what we can do in 10 years if we're just disciplined and focused. I made a lot of bad decisions in my business career, but you know, I built RBT up to 20 gyms and doing $10 million a year and it's been 10 years. Um, I think, you know, you know, that's 10 years. You can, you can build a $10 million company. I had a couple of other companies on the side. So I was doing about $15 million worth of revenue a year in 10 years. So I think if you just stay focused um, and you just like keep going, like you know, the first year you might get to 500K, the next year, like it starts to compound, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just double every year, it's like you're gonna start going really fast and you'll, you'll hit some bumps in the road. You know, I've hit a fair few bumps in my time, but they're all learning lessons that I personally needed for my future um, in business. That system, seems incredibly productive and effective for you and it's definitely inspiring for me to refine my own so thank you for sharing that actually you talked about bumps in the road um just like a couple of minutes before this conversation uh we got a message from somebody who sent me an article about just cautioning uh us about uh maybe your integrity or talking to you and I, i'm a guy who's like full transparency like I, this is this is not a gotcha type of thing i saw I, mean, I might as well share the article if you don't mind it's like national gym chain results-based training falls into administration after very large tax bill i have no idea what this is or the context around it um that's what it says maybe you can provide like do you have everybody has detractors and people who you know criticize them but and also everybody has bumps in the road um but can you give context around this maybe you can elaborate instead of yeah man, headline and, and reading? Yeah, man. and that's one of my bumps as you can see that was published in april 18 2019 yeah, right quite a while the bigger, the bigger you grow man um the more people are out for you as well um so when i look at this i I grew RBT as a partnership franchise um, group after the first couple. Um, you know, I wanted to try and groove my guys' financial freedom uh, and we're growing at a great rate. Uh, some of the guys amazing, still a part of the team. Um, some of the guys are not. Uh, when I rolled back the companies into one company, 
I took on the tax debts of all my business. I didn't do enough due diligence. Um, so again, learning lesson for me. So I took on over a couple of million dollars of tax debt from the companies, from my partners, um, which I was like, okay, like I can do this and I can get out from under it. And unfortunately, like, you know, it's voluntary administration, right? So I pushed the company into administration, not forced administration. Mm. So April, you know, it would have been April last year. I pushed, not last year, it was like 2019. What was it last year? Yeah, yeah. Um, I pushed the company into administration because I couldn't get out, get out from the debt that the company was under from the merger when I took all the, the locations back under one um, holding company rather than split into the partnerships. Now, that was a learning lesson for me. Um, we went to um, essentially the ATO. Um, you know, we have a super debt from those companies as well that we sort of rolled in to pay off. You know, obviously you have to pay all your super your employees um, and I'm paying off that. Um, I could have closed the company then and there um, and walked away from all responsibilities, but that's not who I am as a human being. Uh, for me, I took on the debts from my partners and then I moved forward um, to try and carry it. The ATO didn't want to come to the table. The ATO also wanted to make a, um, like, I think they wanted to make a bit of a- Example. Example of me. Um, you know, they, they deem me as an influencer. I'm not an influencer, but they deem me as an influencer. And there was a lot of people growing companies, folding them, and they just wanted to, you know, have a bit of a jab at me to make a, a public example. Um, but also like, you know, there's no reason why that should have been in the news, right? Like why, why, like why me? Uh, again, people hate on people that, you know, like they'll, they won't hate on you to a certain amount of extent and then they'll hate on you to a certain amount of success. And when you go past a certain amount of success, they stop hating on you again. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like me. A lot of people do like me. Um, I, I think it comes part and parcel of the territory, right? Like, but those people who are close to me and actually know me and have my phone number, um, they know how much I care. Like you talk about Ben, you know, you talk about so many people, like I care about them so much. I would, I would give my, I'd give my life for people and I go out of my way. Like there's so many people who work for RBT that now own their own gyms and they wouldn't own their own gyms if they didn't work for RBT. And I want my, my staff to be as successful as they possibly could be, you know, with the ATO debt, um, we dropped our ATO debt. We came, kept all of our other financing um liabilities to the side so we paid to pay them off because i didn't want to fold the ato debt but i dropped dropped two million dollars worth of ato debt um because you know the government takes enough of everyone's money and allowed us to move forward so then after you know that we had an administration administrator look after the company finances for eight weeks after the eight weeks he's like you know here's the company back um and we've been trading ever since so cool. it, it, it's it is what it is man like i think um you know david jones has been into voluntary administration multiple times um like many companies have i think just not many fitness companies that you know of have because not many people build 10 million dollar fitness companies right yeah <laughs> that's kind of a i don't know it's like amazing but like there, there comes challenges with that territory i appreciate you being transparent and just explaining that situation i didn't know that did you is it was there issue around like you having to close gyms or having to like lay off staff was that a bit of the like quote-unquote uh, controversy um, or stress around it no nah, man like for me like i closed two of the sydney gyms yeah because i sold my gold coast location um just flying up and down between the two states was too hard 
um, for us as a company. So we decided to focus back in on Melbourne and focus on Perth, um, where we had more control. So we dialed it back. I sold my two locations in the US as well. So, you know, dropped it back to the 16 locations. Um, COVID's another issue, but it's, it's another day. Uh, but, you know, from the, after the administration, we pulled it back. We kept our staff. Um, we just dropped only the staff really from those, gyms those gyms in the other states that um, weren't the focus at that time. So we probably dropped about 12 staff. But again, man, like I, I'm a kid who's 36 years old who lived in his gym for the first year, who started this under 10 years ago, who built a $10 million company, employed over 100 staff and has a $3 million payroll, right? Like, you know, I, I built this from nothing and you're going to fall along the way. For I didn't sure. go to university. Like, <laughs> but like, you know, I just, I started as a personal trainer when I was 18. And I think, you know, doing that, um, you don't, you, you, you got to learn the lessons along the way. And I think, you know, I've learned my lessons. I, I know that it's cool. I'll do more due diligence if I roll things together in, in another um, version of this down the track. Um, I could have franchised RBT and, and not tried to do partnership RBT and probably have 150, 200 of them, right? But I decided to go down a different route. A different route. I would never, I never regret the decisions I make in life either, man, because everything happens to give you the lesson you need for who you need to be in this earth. I think it was such an important lesson for me um, in, again, like due, due diligence, but it was such an important lesson for me in, you know, blocking out the noise mm. and truly focusing um, on like myself and focusing on, you know, getting the brand to where I want it to be. You know, some staff upset, yeah, for sure. Um, but I care all about them and I'll give them all the time of the day. Uh, but man, like, you know, when you have a hundred staff, you're never going to have everyone that's super happy. Your goal is to do that. It's like when you have like, you know, it's like Pareto's principle rolls true with everything, right? You know, for us, you know, we coach personal training. I got coach fit pros, right? Like, so I've coached over a thousand fit pros over the last, you know, eight years. Um, you know, there's 20% of them that have gone to a million dollars plus. I've coached more than a hundred people to build a million dollar business. It's 20% of them. They just didn't do the work. Right. And they just didn't. It's like when we look at staff, it's the same sort of thing. Like 20% will, you know, understand how much I love them. There'll be 20% that just like, like I can't seem to get the buy in from. And uh, as you start to scale, unfortunately, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I personally always try and work on that. I always go, how can I lead differently? How can I engage more? How can I use the five love language? love languages how can i get the feedback differently how like like that's a constant thing i'm very um reflective in that nature but you know it's just it's human beings man the more human beings the more emotions and you know the more emotions you know the the harder it is yeah it's tricky but you know that sounds like a very valuable experience for you how did you manage the stress of all of that how did you keep your routine, your family? You, at that time, you probably still had young children. How did you keep it all together? Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you lost a couple marbles then. And you, sometimes you, you, um, you could like. I think it comes down to identity, man. Like my business doesn't isn't my identity. If I lost RBT tomorrow, I lost it tomorrow, um, and I'll start it again the next day. Um, so I think you know. I think when people put their happiness on a revenue number, 
they put a happiness on a certain amount of gyms or a certain amount of clients, um, then if they lose it, they lose their happiness and all of a sudden stress starts through the roof. I'm not going to lie, yeah, like, you know, having the ability to get ripped out from underneath you um, isn't the best. But at the same time, it doesn't define who I am. Like, you know, again, like I built the company in, in eight years to that goal. So I could build it again to that goal in four years or three years. So I think we can't allow financial numbers to represent our success. We have to allow our daily character traits to represent our success. Absolutely. I think that's what I do. It's like, can I, am I the most respectful version of me? Am I the most disciplined version of me? Am I the most honest version of me? Um, do I, you know, like, am I living with integrity? I think if I can, and you can only answer to yourself. And if I can answer to myself saying, yes, I am playing my game, the best I can play my game. That's all we can ever ask from ourselves. And, you know, I think, you know, that allowed me to focus further on that. So it was probably, it's a blessing in disguise as well. It allowed me to become a stronger human being focusing on myself rather than the external factors. You know, dude, like there's going to be people hating on you every day of the week. Like I was put in the paper for defying COVID restrictions like a couple of months ago. Like someone on my Instagram started taking my stories. I went for a walk at 4.58 a.m. I broke Melbourne curfew by two minutes. I didn't have a mask on, jumping into my car. So I broke it, like, because I, you know, you have to wear masks over here. I was getting into my car. So people were taking my Insta stories. They were putting it to the social, putting it to the Herald Sun. And the Herald Sun ran a story about me and then it got syndicated across 13 different newspapers saying Jim Guru breaks COVID restrictions. It's like, dude, like, I get hit every day of the week. I get told kill or kill myself. I get like I get hit hard. Um, but it's like you don't know me and you don't know what I'm about. And only people with my phone number know who I am. And that's the only if you don't have my phone number, I really actually don't care what you think about me. Oof, that's a that's a that's a strong but assertive, like confident message. Like you sound very grounded in that reality. And I think that's you need something like that to keep you sane. Like because you, Travis Jones, right? You have this amount of influence and this amount of success. And like, you can, we see what happens when people don't have those roots in the sand or roots in the ground and they don't have that mentality and they have millions and millions of people following them. Like, look at Joe Rogan. He's very, like, he has that. He has yeah. his version of that. But we've seen through society what happens when fame and influence and money and success is, you know, thrust onto somebody so quickly and they don't have those roots that it's chaos, like mental, emotional, psychological chaos. And some people end up like killing themselves, suicide, mental illness. And 100%, like I could have gone down like like man it was hectic like i'm not gonna say that so i'm not gonna say it wasn't hectic the stuff i've been through and i've been through worse stuff in my life like my first year of second year of rbt i got threatened by the bikies down the road to pay them twenty thousand dollars they're gonna shoot me in seven days because they protected my business so i had to come up with 20k wow. in seven days it's like i had an injured cock on a flatline four times when i was 18. like a lady tried to commit suicide and drove into my car because she tried to kill herself it's like collapsing a gym chain. Like, dude, that's not stressful. It's like, like, that's just money. Money goes, circles the earth. You just grab yours and you do it again. Like stressful is losing a loved one. Yeah. Stressful is losing your legs. Stressful is not losing money. Like, I think we have an over, overinflated sense of our happiness defined by material objects 
and monetary value we place on ourselves and we don't have our happiness attached to who we are as a person and the impact we're doing giving to those around us i think if we can start to detach it away from material objects it's like when we're striving for material object objects it's a hedon it's hedonic adaptation yes so you feel great and you feel that bad you feel great you feel bad but if we go towards like abraham's Mas abraham maslow's like self-actualization that's like what one can be one must be you're just moving towards the best version of yourself and you know like are you going to stumble along the way 100 you probably needed those stumbles to move towards the best version of yourself because you're learning something that i think it's a great place to close this conversation um and i wanted to ask you it's like yeah you fulfilled let's say all of maslow's hierarchy needs the last one on the tip self-actualization is always a constant pursuit we, we understand that but i mean do you and this is rhetorical but maybe not actually do you need to keep playing the game that you're playing for example 16 gyms multi-million dollar company um this regimented strict schedule just playing the game of success and continual improvement within business and health and fitness i wonder what do you ever want to stop playing that game and just be done with all games and just be able to be free of all games or is this constant pursuit within that game something you always desire and want I think it depends on what you believe you're put on this earth for. Okay. So if you're put on this earth to create change, then the game never finishes. Okay. So you know, for me, like I'll, again, like we've got multiple companies and, you know, I have been in the fitness industry for 18 years. I'll probably be in the fitness industry for another 18 to 36 more. Um, the way I impact the fitness industry um, again, will be malleable, like it will change as the, my life progresses. But I think a, a man without the pursuit of change stops truly being like, and that man, woman, so I'm not going to be sexist there. But it's like, when I look at it, it's like, for me, if I'm not trying to create impact, what am I trying to do? Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever stop the game, not never stop the game of looking back and go, well, what could have I done if I kept moving forward? How many more lives could I have changed? Um, and I think, you know, you might, anyone listening to this who doesn't know me, it's like that guy has ego. It's like, no, like I don't have ego. I, I believe that I can impact people's lives in a positive way. And it's my duty on this earth to impact as many lives as I possibly can in a positive way. So if I go, that's enough for me, I've got enough money or I've done enough, that's selfish, not selfless. Your, your body is your vehicle on this earth to create change on this earth. So you're not doing it for a matter of financial gain, you're doing it to impact the lives. And I don't think you're impacting enough lives until you finish on this earth. Travis Jones, I think it's a great place to finish this conversation. Cheers, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time, man, and sharing all of that. Um, we went off in a lot of directions. Um, I would... If you're down, I'd love to do this in person. Um, or I have my own personal podcast. Would you be down for that in the future? 100%, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Um, otherwise, do you have any last comments, thoughts, questions, asks of our audience uh, before we get up out of here? No, man. I, I think the biggest thing is like there's a lot of people that will doubt you. There's a lot of people that will tell you you can't do something. I think the biggest thing you can do is constantly just believe in yourself. 
And I, I think that's all we can do as human beings. Um, the, the bridge between your, your comfort zone and being uncomfortable, that's hope, right? And hope is understanding that tomorrow is gonna be better than today. So if someone's going through a tough time with everything that's going through, they're going through with the COVID situation or anything like that, that tomorrow is gonna be better than today if you take action and you believe in yourself. So believe, have hope, keep moving forward. And that's all you can um, do on this earth. Beautiful way to end. Thank you, Travis. Look forward to meeting you one day in person. Cheers, mate. All right, see ya. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Travis Jones of RBT Training. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Look, you guys know me at this point. Sometimes the conversations get more philosophical and they get more psychological than sometimes in the dirt, uh, sets and reps, X's and O's, um, theory of sports science and exercise human science, you know? And I do my best to try and find a balance. Like, you know, I, I, I wish I, I, not wish, but finishing the conversation now, I would have liked to ask about Sir 3 and 4 um, and weaknesses he sees in personal trainers. But regardless, I believe there is so much in there that you guys can practically take away. I have a whole diary full of notes here on strategies, systems that you guys and we can use to implement into our lifestyle to improve ourselves as human beings, but also as coaches, like the nutrition stuff, the portion control, macro calorie control, and then dieting phases to maximize accountability and adherence is really valuable. Um, understanding the flex cows and the portion control method, when to implement a which, and simplifying those processes to maximize buy-in is very useful. And then those keenest keystone core habits that we talked about, um, and finding the root causes of people's why, things like this, guys. Like I hope it was valuable. Let us know what your most valuable, like, put in the comments, um, what your most valuable kind of takeaway was. This conversation will be available all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook. And that is it, guys. I'm Alexander Emanuel Sandars. You guys can find me on all social media if you want to find me. We're Orphic Education. We deliver certificate threes and fours in fitness. If you guys are serious and committed to the idea and want to become a personal trainer, and you want more than the average course, you want something that is practical, hands-on, we might be a good fit for you. Let us know. Send us a message. Go to our website. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week for more amazing conversations. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see y'all later. Hey, it's election day, election week. Stay strong, stay stable, stay focused. Done.